Well, hello, everybody. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick and Dancer. And this is kind of one of the reasons I moved to Montana. Um, I wanted to find stories and connections with people here to show people in Oregon and people in Montana, vice versa, some of the things you can work together on and some of the things that maybe they're doing in Oregon that Montana can benefit from and some of the things in Montana that maybe Oregon can benefit from. But tonight is the latter, um, a program that they're working on um, in a, a part of uh, Montana up in Libby in Lincoln County. And that's one of the areas I haven't been to yet. And uh, so we're gonna talk about a project about reforestation, forest management, how this is working. And they're really doing some amazing things because uh, my friend Nick Smith was telling me about this and I thought, we're gonna get this going here. So our sponsors tonight are Buck Sanitary Service. Um, you know, and Scott is a big supporter of timber. Uh, he's a guy who takes his, uh, all of his porta potties, his showers, and everything to forest fires camps. I tried to get it together with him when I was back in Montana, or in Oregon, and uh, he's so busy on the fire lines that he can't do that. But during the normal part of his life, he does weddings, um, any kind of events you have. So if you're looking for a potty, a shower, or something like that, remember to love our sponsors because that's how we get to do what we do. And also, Chris Dental Family Dentistry, where everyone is welcome. You don't have to have a vaccine to go to the dentist there because they think your medical history is your medical history. All they want to do is take care of those teeth, those gums, and make sure that you're doing the right things. Well, hello, Dan. Hi, Shirley. How are you? Welcome to the show. Um, let me bring on my guest. This is Mark Peck. Hey, Mark. How you doing? Doing well, Rick. How are you? So tell people where, where Libby, Libby, Montana is. Well, uh, we are in the extreme northwest corner of Montana. We're about 32 miles from Idaho and about 70 miles from British Columbia. And we're in some of the most beautiful country on the planet. And, and you are in some of the most forested country in Montana. Uh, without a doubt. Yeah, 99% of our county is timbered. So, so we have a few cattle ranches, but they're pretty small. How big a county is Lincoln County? Uh, about 30, 3,800 square miles. It's as big as Rhode Island, I think, you know, so it's a, it's not the biggest county in Montana, but it's a pretty good sized county. Yeah. It's how, how many people live there? About 20,000. So what's, what's the big problem in terms of forest management or what was the big problem in terms of forest management for your area? Well, it, it's still a big problem and that's litigation. Um, you know, when you live in a place like we do, uh, we have an abundance of, of, well, we have every wildlife critter that you can think of, uh, from grizzly bears to uh, wolverines to uh, woodland caribou. Um, wow. And uh, bull trout, cutthroat trout. <clears throat> Uh, those are all names that I'm sure anybody that follows the Endangered Species Act. Uh, so not only are we the most forested uh, forest and county in the state, but we're probably the most litigated. So that keeps you from harvesting as much as you could? Oh, it does, without a doubt. And it uh, just slows up the process and eats up, you know, the Forest Service's uh, resources uh, you know, some projects, uh, we've got one now where we just got some more information back from the judge, uh, that it's been 10 years. What? Yes. Yeah. Uh, where these projects get locked up and 
have to go back and redo. Um, yeah, it's a, it, it's a real challenge, uh, especially when we're trying to work inside the wildland urban interface around people's homes and, uh, and we see these projects getting litigated. Um, Mark, one of, my, one of my viewers is asking, are you the Lincoln County Port Authority? Uh, I'm not. I'm employed through the Lincoln County Port Authority, but uh, uh, I, I don't manage the Port Authority or have any. Uh, I'm in kind of a special position, but I used to. I used to be a county commissioner and I was on the Port Authority board. Okay, so Matt Kendall, he's a realtor here in Eugene, Oregon, and so, somehow he put the connection there. So I don't know. Well, he'll, he'll answer. Um, okay. He, quite vocal. He'll let us know more information. Oh, we got candles and Libby. He may be one of those. So. Just read the line. His new role will see him operating as a nexus between public agencies and private companies and reducing fuels and improving forest resiliency in the area. That's a pretty great gig if it's true. Is that That's what you do, isn't it? That's what I do. Yeah. And, uh, and try, try to right size, um, get manufacturing back in here that's aligned with you know the needs of the forest which is primarily small diameter and we've got hundreds of thousands of acres of timberland that was treated in the 60s 70s 80s uh, and you know even the pre-commercial work to go back in and thin and, and those types of things get litigated uh, so a lot of these forest lands have not been touched and they're just overstocked they should be around 35 to maybe 50 trees per acre and they're running 2000 trees per acre. So as you were saying at the beginning and the whole Western United States, your County, your area is in the 98th percentile for in like in, in huge danger of burning because nothing's been managed on or hasn't been managed oh. the way it should be. Right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's uh uh, you know, in multiple studies, you know, one's as high as 98, uh, you know, the recent Montana wildfire uh, risk assessment uh, put us at, I think, above 95%. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, and, and the, the forest comes right down to, right down to the city limits in some places. So what are you guys doing? Because when I called Nick Smith here in Oregon, who works with Healthy Forests, um, he said, you guys are doing some pretty amazing things that are, you're seeing some success. Tell me about those, that, that, that project. Well, um, first off, it, it boils around to having really good relationships up here um, between the Forest Service, Montana DNRC, uh, the county, uh, Natural Resource Conservation Service. We have a, a really vibrant collaborative group that's, uh, and it, it's it's a, what I would call a true collaborative group. We've got uh, uh, wilderness, you know, the Montana Wilderness Association. Uh, there, there's a lot of varied groups in there. Uh, Friends of the Scotchman Peaks sitting alongside Idaho Forest Group, Stoltz Lumber. Uh, so it's it's not a, it's not a one-sided group at all, but uh, very supportive of what we're trying to do. But uh, essentially, um, I guess to sum it up is that, you know, we've, we've sat down over the course of years and, and tried to fight the litigation thing, and that really wasn't, wasn't helping. And uh, 
but we finally just started looking at the wildland urban interface. We had a couple close calls with fires in 2017 when I was a commissioner. So we, we came up, the county came up with a proposal um, for the state of Montana through the Good Neighbor Authority. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I, I know I saw that though on the on the yeah, it originally came out of the 2014 farm bill under President Obama's administration. Then it was uh, bolstered quite a bit uh, under the Trump administration. But uh, essentially what it does is it allows state and local governments to almost like subcontract to the Forest Service to assist them with doing work on their on their lands. Um, that does a number of things. It streamlines the contracting process, right. uh, which is big. Uh, we still follow NEPA. We still follow the forest plan and all that. But uh, And it has its limitations of where it can work. But where it works really well is inside the wildland urban interface. Now, what is a wildland urban interface? <laughs> that, that's, an, that's an area around, uh, and, and it comes out of the Healthy Forest Restoration Act, I believe 2002 or 2004 under President Bush. But uh, it's an area... Um, it's a mile and a half designation outside that surrounds either communities, you know, private property, um, uh, critical infrastructure like railroads, highways, uh, communication sites, things like that. And it, it's, a, it's an area that uh, in theory, you should be able to operate uh, under a lot less scrutiny from litigation. And uh, Congress has come a long way since that, uh, as far as giving tools for the Forest Service to do that through NEPA, uh, through categorical exclusions and uh, what we call the HEFRA EA, the Healthy Forest Restoration Act, environmental assessments that are more streamlined than the normal ones. Um, but uh, how big an area is that? Mark usually in link well it just depends it, you know it depends on how you're laid out you know Lincoln County I, I think you know we're in the process of finishing up our uh, latest version of our community wildfire protection plan and I think the mapping on this one is about seven hundred thousand acres um, but I have what we call wildland urban interface and then priority urban inter interface and to me the priority interface is that around actual communities where people are living and and they have their homes and uh and not not that the communication sites and and primary transportation routes aren't important but for us our our, our goal as county commissioners was to protect our communities and our private property so this is a swath of of timber that you can do more clearing, uh, more forest management for fire, for that kind of thing, yes. which gets timber out, but it also protects your communities better. So that's that's a huge win for you guys. No, it, it is, and uh, you know, and the way we look at it, and that's you know, we can talk about the agreement a little bit, but uh, you know, we we look at things in acres, not in board feet, okay? Uh, because our the way we see it. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to treat areas and in doing that, if we, if we treat 640 acre section of land for fire and fuel reduction, there's going to be wood product come off of that. 
whether it's saw logs, whether it's pulp, whether it's uh, peelers for plywood and those types of things. That will naturally happen. But the main focus is to get those lands back into a healthy forest state and a fire resistant state um, and then hopefully maintain them over the long haul because uh, you can't stop trees from growing here. Uh, right. they, yeah, it's a, uh, yeah. So is that the most frustrating part is your, um, <clears throat> is I, I think the general public, because what they hear um, in the narrative that's popular out there is a healthy forest is lush trees packed with 2000 trees per acre, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But that really isn't a healthy forest. That is a forest. It's like a yard. Let's make it like a garden. It's like sure. if you had a garden and you planted a bunch of tomato plants and you never went out and, and pruned them, you never thinned them, you would have a very, it, it, after a while, it would just overtake itself. And if it was a product that could dry and catch fire, then you've got another added bonus to it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But people do that. They're afraid that, you know, you're going to hurt the plant. You got to, you, you don't get good growth out of trees. You don't get old growth trees without some of the little trees dying, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And people don't understand that. They think that if the more green they see, that that's, that's the picture of health. Well, if you look historically, you know, I mean, if you, I hear people, oh, we need to manage our forests, get them back to their natural state. Well, I'm not sure which natural state they're talking about because these forests and these lands on this planet have been evolving for millions of years and, and they continue to do so. And, uh, but if you look historically, uh, before there was a large impact from, uh, from settlers and, and uh, I guess the modern movement into the land, um, you know, there was big open areas, those big yellow pine. I mean, sometimes there was a hundred feet between them and there yeah. was, and they burned, you know, underneath a lot, almost every large, you know, old growth yellow pine or large tree has big burn stars on them because they used to burn uh, every, you know, had a very short, burn cycle so that it would clear the underbrush and uh um and we we've, we've stopped that we we've stopped the burning and now we're not in managing either so now we have this um massive buildup on the forest and uh, and so the problem you, is is that when that burns uh fire is no longer a tool it's a weapon uh it it uh, so historically it was a tool Yes. And up until when did you see this major change? Like when, you know, because I remember like in I, I'm not from Montana, but in Oregon and I know Montana is the same. We never had forest fires in, in the summer like this. I mean, it was never I didn't grow up where I hear people now going, oh, well, you know, that's just August and September in Oregon and Montana. That didn't used to be like that. No, and we, you know, we'd have fires, but it was nothing like we're seeing now. And, uh, uh, and, and don't, you know, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I think there's a number of reasons for that. Um, you know, there's no question that the climate is changing and it's different. I don't want to get into what's causing it or, but as my good friend Bruce Vincent says, you know, the Libby Valley, if we go back 30,000 years, had, you know, 200 feet of ice on it. Right. And, uh, uh, and was underwater under Lake Missoula. So, uh, 
it's changing and and we need to address it and we need to but we need to do so intelligently but the other piece is the unnatural because the you know the whole science of forestry is to mimic nature in managing a forest and you know when we go in and you know we've gone in you can argue whether we should have went into the forest or not but we did and we can't just take our hands off of it we can uh, but what'll happen is what we're seeing happen. And these catastrophic fires are, uh, I mean, they are landscape changing. Right. You know, they will never, these lands will never come back the way they were before. Well, and people act like this is a natural process and it's not, it used to be, but it's not yep. now. And how much, if, if we're really truly trying to stop carbon from going into the air, how much carbon are we dumping in the air every summer when we have these massive, massive fires? Um, you know, it, mm -hmm. in, in Oregon, we did this to, you may have here too, but I know in Oregon, they did, some of these rules came about to protect the spotted owl. Well, the fires in Labor Day destroyed like half, 500, oh, what was it? 500,000? I can't remember hundreds of thousands of acres of spotted owl habitat. So the very habitat, the rules were set up to protect it destroyed yes. because of the rules they set up to protect. Right. And, uh, you know, and we can do both. I honestly believe that we, we can protect habitat and, uh, and we can develop habitat and, uh, and we need to do that. You know, and, it, and there's no question that our logging techniques in the, you know, turn of the century and even up into the forties and fifties were, uh, were not acceptable by today's but you know we've evolved right and and the way we manage today and the protections that we put on the watershed uh on the hydrology and the uh and the habitat a healthy forest is a healthy habitat right for the critters. And well, i mean it's that uh um uh but we can't just take our hands off of it and so you you guys have been given a swath of land and i don't mean given but i mean you have that you can go in and you're doing these management techniques and it's showing that it really works would the hope be that in the future maybe the government and people come on board and go wait what they're doing here works better than what we're not doing in here maybe we could move that out would that be like a a, a, a really good thing well, yeah, and it's and that those things are happening. You know, you look at the political climate surrounding forest management and these fires. Um, and uh, I, I remember when I was first elected as a county commissioner in 2015, uh, I went back and testified before the Senate uh, Natural Resource and Energy and Natural Resource Committee, and uh, and where things were at politically then versus where they're at now, we have really strong bipartisan support for good scientific forest management. Uh, and that's that's started with the Obama administration under Secretary Vilsack. So I, I was just really pleased when they appointed him again, because, uh, and you, you see what's going on within the Forest Service right now under Chief Moore with the 10-year strategy and the really aggressive approach that, uh, and the White House is supporting it, uh, but we still have this disconnect uh, with equal access to justice and litigation, and because um, uh, 
And I don't think projects should be litigation proof. Right. I, I don't trust government that much. Uh, you know, the <laughs> citizens need to have their eyes on it, but we can't continue to just lock this stuff up. And it's so easy to do it. And uh, and the Forest Service, uh, I mean, they just wipe the resources out trying to defend themselves in litigation. And I, I don't know how they keep the biologists, the hydrologists, or soil scientists. I mean, these are scientists, and they're professional, and they're, um, and they just get raked over the coals. And it's, right. uh, and, and what people don't understand is this is every kind of sale that comes up or any kind, and they get litigated, and mm-hmm. then that takes years. So it ends up costing. You know, I mean, and the bottom line is people wonder why it's so expensive to build a house. Um, timber companies fighting all i mean all this stuff adds up and i think what what i don't understand mark and i always pose this question to a lot of people is you know the let's say the narrative makers the um the 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 for lack of a better word because i consider myself an environmentalist but i'm an environmentalist who really does believe that carbon doesn't belong in the air so we shouldn't have forest fires yeah. And we should do anything we can. So that's or the kind should, of, you know, yeah, some is fine. You know, we do, we need carbon in the air, but yeah. Right. But you know, I mean, right. but exactly. we also yeah. have these trees that we, you know, don't want to keep planting. They, they don't want to cut down and then replant or they want you just to keep going. And that's the biggest, biggest carbon sequester in the planet. I mean, it's a, right. it's a, it's well, a healthy big, forest is a huge carbon machine. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and an unhealthy forest is a carbon emitter. And, uh, and I, I, I can't scientifically prove that the Kootenai has tipped from uh, sequestration to emitter, but if it hasn't, it's pretty damn close. And uh, what would make it switch to an emitter? Uh, just small, you know, over where the timber's dying young, the trees are, uh, and you have all this, these dead trees that are on the ground and they're not, you know, there's no photosynthesis. There's no, you know, bigger, healthy trees store a lot of carbon. But a, but a small little yeah. trees are very powerful uh, filters, you know, through photosynthesis. And uh, so you need both. But uh, but when, when the forest is so unhealthy that, uh, you know, you just have acres and acres of, of 70% mortality, well, that, that's all no longer are they filtering or no longer are they, uh, I mean, they're decaying and they're, so they're emitting like, carbon. They're actually they're emitting, emitting, they're actually emitting carbon versus. So with that being true and all this that we're talking about, why doesn't the, um, the people fighting all this and wanting it to stay just natural like this, why don't they change their narrative? If they're truly behind reducing carbon, if they're truly behind, a healthy forest. Why? Why do they keep going back to their same old story? I was asking some because, well, yeah, I, I think there's different groups, and it, you know, it's not that black and white. I, I think the people that truly understand carbon and carbon sequestration and how the forests work uh, are not necessarily the ones that are. It's more, at least in our case, it's the groups over, and I over endangered species, uh, which they, they put the critters over endangered species, I mean, over the carbon. Um, but, uh, 
you know, also there's a, there's a group out there that just really feels that the vast majority of these forests should not have human activity in them. Uh, and, uh, so they're, they're suing for different reasons. And, uh, does that, I hope that makes sense, but it's just not that simple that, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of alignment on healthy forests are, are, a, are a very good carbon balancer. So and, do, do those groups, do they understand that that national forest also belongs to me? Uh, that, that I guess probably, they, but whether they care or not, it's another, uh, yeah. Thank you for making my point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think how do people like just regular folks in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, um, what kind of, how do they get more involved in this and understand or to support, um, because if we all own it, we should all have a say in it and 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 not just listen to the, the message that sounds so warm and fuzzy, like, you know, Mother Nature is, is the greatest gardener on the planet. Yeah. Um, or, or the, you know, the picture of a clear cut in The New York Times and then and, right next to it, a picture of Glacier National Park and saying, which would you rather have? Like, there's nothing in between, or that within five years you won't recognize that clear cut because of the natural, you know, the regrowth and regeneration that we're seeing in there. I had some friends that moved here from LA and they bought a little tree farm. It burned in the fire. Um, they came here thinking clear cuts were horrible. Um, that, you know, the forest industry was this, the timber industry is that. Now they've, they've been educated because they're growing trees themselves. Yep. Um, they understand what's going on. They're like one of the big, biggest advocates for the timber industry. And they said, now when we look at a clear cut, we understand you don't look at the cut. You look right next to the stump and you see the new tree, the new right. seedling that's been planted. That's the next generation coming up. And they said, we understand it better. So it's really about educating people about what this is. And I have another friend who's a hunter. He came here from New York and he's like, oh, when I first came here, I hated clear cuts. And he goes, then I started understanding why you do it. And he says, and it became, he goes, I still think they look ugly, but he says, I, I, I understand there's, it's, you know, when you move into a new area, um, well, it's like anything, even Montana, like, you know, you get sure. all these people from other states, they come here and say, hey, I'll make you better. No, no, no. Assimilation is better. Well, yeah, and, and clear cuts are, are, are a, a a really good tool and you know and we could probably argue that maybe they were overdone at one point uh but there's still a and and in a lot of ways it's to mimic fire and you know and i would argue you know fire burns are pretty damn ugly yeah uh and pretty devastating to to streams to wildlife to uh but they regenerate and that's nature's way of uh uh, but, you know, there's nothing pretty about how these forests transition, whether we do it, you know, mechanically or Mother Nature does it naturally. It's not a nice, pretty smooth process. So so you guys are having some great. So what's the next thing coming up for you guys up in, in Libby, like in terms of projects or, or things coming up for you? Well, you know, the, the first thing was to really get the, you know, we, we've got a, an MOU in place between the uh state of montana department of natural resource and conservation the forest service the natural resource conservation service out of usda and then lincoln county and that's to come together and and jointly plan projects to protect these communities uh so that's that was the first step the second step was to get the agreement in place for 
uh, the state of Montana to be able to treat up to 10,000 acres a year within the wildland urban interface under the good neighbor authority. Wow. That agreement is in place. Um, you know, something else, and I, I think a lot, it, a lot, it has, a lot of it has to do with, I think the, the forward leaning planning and coordination that we've, we've all collectively been doing up here, but, uh, the Kootenai National Forest was recently awarded. It was one of the 10 areas in the country that received the, uh, well, they call it the non, their bipartisan uh, infrastructure bill, the $5 billion that the Forest Service was given. To, well, the first selection process, they selected 10 areas around the country and the Kootenai National Forest was given $20 million to jumpstart this and, and get it going. So that that's huge. And, uh, and, you know, we're seeing the, the forest service is really jumping out and, uh, and getting projects and, uh, you know, so the next, the next step is the implementation of, of how's that going to work and how do we get to that 10,000 acres? Cause you know, everybody's short on resources right now. In fact, probably one of the biggest challenges we have are the, uh, you know, with, with the drop in cut on the Kootenai, you know, when I was a kid growing up here, we were probably averaging over 200 million board feet a year coming off the Kootenai. And, uh, it's probably down between 40 to 60 now. So uh, obviously the, the contractor infrastructure to handle that has downsized to where, um, you know, we don't have the logging infrastructure right now to to handle an increase in, uh, and a lot of it is also just finding people that are willing to work today. Yeah. Uh, in Montana, you only have like all the Santos and say, why don't you send a couple plane loads of those good people up here, and uh, and uh, we've got jobs for them. So, and you guys only have like six six mills in the state, don't you? I mean, it's pretty low. Uh, we've got more than that, but it's, and all we just, well, let me count because we lost RY timber shut down in Townsend and now they had the big fire there. And uh, so we're down two mills there. Um, I mean, we had seven mills in Lincoln County back in the, yeah. And we oh. have none. Uh, you know, we had one of the largest mills in the Pacific Northwest here. And uh, in fact, our team name is the Libby loggers. And uh uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's just, it, it's going to be a challenge to get everything geared up. You know, the forest service was cut down to where they didn't have the capacity to, you know, and, and, uh, so that, that's why coming together and it's good neighbor authority helps to where the state and the county can come in and, uh, you know, we can hire and we can use road crews and things like that to help with, some of the projects, if there's not contractors available to do it. So, and you guys uh, have a lot of support from your senators and your congressmen. Oh, uh, a lot of support. Yeah. And yeah. the governor, the governor has been uh, just phenomenal. Yeah. It's, and that, uh, that's what, that's one of the things Oregon doesn't really have. Um, yeah. Well, hopefully that's going to change here from what I'm watching on the, but yeah, our governor flew in here and the first thing he told me, he said, Mark, Flying into Libby's like uh, landing on a lake and you're dying of thirst and you can't and you can't drink anything. 
he says all it is is trees you know and yeah. and, and we can't we can't get there and uh but uh no there's a lot of uh, a lot of really good stuff has gone on here the last couple of years and it's primarily relationships and it's not all timber companies. It's uh, right. a lot of private landowners and uh, industry has really stepped up and helped fund different things. And uh, well, and you're, you're all having a voice in the conversation. It's not just dominated by one. Absolutely. In Oregon, it's, it's the environmental community and it drags the timber industry. They have to go in there. It's not like it's, this is my opinion. Yeah. And it, from what I hear behind the scenes, outwardly, it's all, we're working together. Um, right. but, but there's, there's a lot of this, they, they, they don't have enough, they don't have a choice because the, right. the power is, it's like a tidal wave and coming up against it, you're not going to move it. And, right. and so hopefully what I love about what you're doing is you're proving that people, there is a common thread for everybody. Absolutely. Going, what, what do we care the most about? And you find that right. and then you work your way out rather than here is I have my thing. I have my thing. And then yep. we never can, oh, you know, and, and we still have that, but right. uh, and that's where the litigation comes from. But, uh, but no, but you're you, right. And there, there, we've got a really good group of people that, uh, and there, there was whaling and it took years to get there and, you right. know, to build that trust and to, uh, uh, you know, and, and the collaborative group, I mean, it's it's made very clear that, you know, we support that you have different values. Right. And we don't expect you to subject, or, you know, or to go against those values uh, to support something. But, you know, so we try to honor that and, and it doesn't always work. And but we always come back and try to find the places that it can work. And so, uh, so that that old familiar word or unfamiliar word compromise is still alive and well in in Lincoln County, Montana. Yeah. You know, I, I hate to I, I don't like that word compromise because really that means both sides are losing something. You know, I, I kind of I'm a win win guy. And I, I think in most instances, if people are willing to really sit down and uh, and and try to objectively work things out, you can come to solutions to where everybody wins versus compromise is exactly that. Somebody's both sides are losing something. Right. And uh, even though you might be gaining something, you're still losing. And uh, uh, but uh, it's it's about relationships. It's about transparency. It's about uh, trust and uh, and honoring somebody when they say I just can't go along with that. It doesn't meet my. It's like okay, good. It's uh, um, but uh, well, I'm gonna get up there. Um, we're going to talk to Nick and those guys, and we're going to find a way to get up there and get some video for people so they can see a real story on this instead yep. of you and me just talking about it. Well, we're um, really hoping to start seeing some work on the ground. Everything right now is in projects, and uh, um, but uh, yeah, we're uh, it's compared to where we were five, six years ago, this is absolutely amazing. And, yeah. and to see the support on both sides of the aisle in DC, uh, to see Secretary Vilsack, um, you know, all three of the last administrations uh, and 
you know, the Good Neighbor Authority first came out in the 2014 Farm Bill, which was under the Obama administration. Right. And there was some really good forest management stuff came out of there. And I credit Secretary Vilsack for a lot of that. And Robert Bonney was his undersecretary. But, uh, um, and the Trump administration built on that. And now the Biden administration, you know, you, even though I think those two, somebody ought to take them both out and spank them, but uh, sometimes, but uh, uh, the Biden administration has built on that. I mean, it's as far as forest management goes. And, uh, and there's been some struggles, you know, with, uh, you know, because obviously there's going to be a lot of environmentalist pressure on that White House. And, uh, but for the most part, Chief Moore has been able to really lay out some, what I call good, strong, stretch, measurable goals. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're talking about continuity. Because uh, a lot of the problem is we'll get an administration in and everything's great for four years. And then the next one comes in and just puts the brakes on. Right. And starting from scratch. But we've had a good eight or 10 year run of, uh, and Congress has been supportive. Uh, uh, you know, it's just a matter of, of how do we change cultures on the ground and implement and start actually clearing land and getting logs on trucks. All right. Last question for you. Okay. What do you, what do you love about Montana? Oh boy. Uh, man, I mean, beyond the fact that I think I'm third generation, uh, I, I love Montana for number one, it's beauty. Uh, but number two, uh, I think it's independence, you know, um, you know, politically, I'm an independent. I think both parties are a pain in the ass. But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, for years, we had one of the most conservative legislatures in the country with a Democrat governor. Yeah. Uh, and with a Democrat senator and a Republican senator. And, and you uh, still got stuff done. We still got stuff done. And, uh, you know, and it's more of a struggle, but... Uh, uh, but overall, Montana is a very open, I think, uh, well, there was a book called High, Wide, and Handsome, and uh, trying to think of the authors, written back in the 40s, but he says in Montana, there's room to swing your arms and swing your mind. So yep. it's, uh, uh, but. Uh, you can go on a hike and you never see a person. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Especially up here. We've got the cabinet wilderness area sitting here. Well, we call Lincoln County Glacier Park without the crowds. Yeah, uh, that's my kind of place. Yeah. You know, the, the cabinets are an amazing uh, set of mountains. And and the fact that they're protected is fantastic. And, yeah. um, and that's one of the things that drives me nuts is this. Well, in America, you know, with the two-party system, all we have to do is create an adversarial position and know how to market it. And that, that's how we get things done. We build something up that it's a huge issue to get, you know, uh, right. well, it's, um, um, geez, I forgot where I was going with that. And it was, God, it was a poignant thought. Uh, <laughs> it was going to rock my audience. Yeah, I need to get the I need to get the wife back in here. Where the well, hell was I going with that? But it, it was a it was a good point anyway. Sorry about that. No, it's okay, Mark. I get that yeah. way too. It happens yeah. with my age. 
Hey, Mark. Yeah, I, I just love Montana for uh, so many different reasons, um, but primarily for its its beauty and its. Yeah. Uh, and your people, the people here, even if, you know, when we moved to Townsend, they said, even if somebody doesn't like you, if you need a cup of coffee, they'll give it to you. They'll give it to you. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like they and they'll say, where are you from? And our first answer is uh, not California. And then people yeah. go, oh, so then you can say anything and you're OK. Yeah. And so we well, say, you know, uh, then they, they, I, they I don't know. I think I, I think I might say I was from California before I'd say I was from Oregon right now. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I know what you mean. Or, or, you know, Oregon and California, well, Washington, I, you know, those states are all three. The left coast is just, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. and I like you, I was a non affiliated. I was, a, I ran for Secretary of State in Oregon in 2008 and lost against our current governor. So I would yeah. be governor of Oregon had I won. Yeah. yeah. See, um, but, but it's so, um, I was a Republican then. Yeah. I used to be a Democrat. Then I became a yeah. Republican. And then I saw, then I saw what was going on. I became a non-affiliated. Then the independent party in Oregon got enough status that it could actually do the primary. So I joined them to give them more. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then they started supporting super left or right wing candidates. Oh, yeah. going, You're just the same as everybody else. I became, a I became a non-affiliated voter and, this, and I was yeah. happy going, I don't fit anywhere. So, well, yeah. you know, any more than the, you know, the independents are the ones that really drive these elections anymore. I uh, wish, I wish that the, like, especially with non-affiliates, the problem with them is right now in Oregon, Mark, we have more non-affiliates than even Democrats. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a group, the problem with them are that a lot of them are don't care because right. we have this thing that our governor came up with, which is a really stupidly bright idea is anyone that registers their car has to be registered to vote, but they don't have to register for a party, which is good. But then they just go into the rolls as a non-affiliated voter. So now you have all these new voters. They didn't want to be a Democrat or a Republican, so they just became right. a non-affiliate. So your very rule kind of screws up your whole, now you've got less. Well, it, all, it almost seems like, you know, and I think that everybody ought to, shouldn't have to be forced to register to vote, but no. uh, that almost seems unconstitutional to me in some former fashion that you can't get a driver's license unless you register to vote. Right. Uh, you have to, you can't, it's, you have to register to vote. And if you do, then they register you to vote. If you, yeah. if you register for a car, a license, then they register you to then vote. Then they automatically register you to vote. Right. But see, to me, the whole thing that's so stupid about that is I don't, they, you know, the, the whole mood in this country is we need everyone voting. No, no, we need, people, no. we need people who vote who understand what they're talking about and aren't voting right. for, oh, I like Mark's beard. I'm going to vote right. for Mark Peck because yep. he has a nice beard. We need, yep. that's the problem in the United States. Is everybody, oh, no, he is. Or a movie star. Or, uh, yeah, you know. it's like, no, you, you yeah. need to be vote. If you're not, if you haven't had a civics 101 class, maybe you shouldn't be voting. Yeah, if you don't <laughs> understand the separation of powers and... Uh, in the Constitution. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, in fact, our... You know, our, our new citizens know more about our country and our civics than uh, any of us. And the spoiled brats that are born and raised here. And, right. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, I know that's, uh, yeah, that's an interesting. Uh, uh, I, I, I get so frustrated because everybody can quote uh, Tom Brady's 
quarterback statistics, but they don't know who the vice president of the United States is, or they don't understand the electoral college. Right. Or they don't understand that we're not a full-blown democracy. If no. we were, it would be utter chaos. And, uh, yes. And, uh, and how many times do you hear people going, we're a democracy, and you're going, no, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> and, they're, and you're going, oh, my God, you, you heard that on – you heard Kamala Harris say that. And so now oh, yeah. you it's a fact. She can't even tell the difference between the Koreans. Oh, yeah, North and South Korea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And this is – you know, and I think people, before they, you know, get all excited about a vice president, you need to understand the power that that person has, because if they don't have oh. a brain, you, oh, you, yeah. you know, you don't want that yeah, person in uh, there. No. Mark, you and I, I think you and I could change the world. Yeah, we probably could. I don't know it, if it'd be any better. It'd be a really, it'd be a really lonely place, though, because it was just yeah. our own little world. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Two square miles of Libby, and we, this is our yeah. new little camp, property. Well, that's kind of, we call it Libby America anyway. Yeah, so Libby America. It's almost its own little world sometimes. But Hey, Mr. Uh, Peck, I want to thank you for having this conversation with me. That was really Oh, fun. absolutely. Yeah, no. And I will talk to those folks and we'll try to get up there um, maybe in the spring. Yeah, no, we could do some really good things. And uh, Okay. Yeah, we'll bring a camera and we'll shoot and, um, and you can show me where the best beer is in town. Well, we can take you on a float down to Kootenai. That'd be, uh, I would like that. Yeah. All right. Cool. Hey, my man, I will talk to you later. All right, Rick. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Well, how's that? That's Montana. Mark Beck um, from Libby, Montana in Lincoln County, where they're doing some amazing things. And you keep hearing him say the same thing over and over again. It's about relationship. It's about relationship. It's about setting up relationships. It's a win-win for everybody. It's not a compromise. Um, maybe that's something that we could bring to your state of Oregon is where it's more balanced and more people working together, not how much power can I have, how much power can I grab, how much power can I shove into your throat? But instead, maybe we need to change the narrative in Oregon about what is proper force management, unless we like living in a smoke-filled, carbon-filled atmosphere that's bad for all of our health. Maybe we need to really take this seriously. If we want a carbon, we want to reduce the amount of carbon in, in, in Oregon and Washington and Idaho and Montana, then maybe we need to look at our force management practices because maybe they're causing the problem. Hmm. There's a new narrative. Um, here's a couple messages from our Great supporters, Buck Sanitary Service and Chris Dental Family Dentistry. This is Dr. Michael Brantland from Chris Dental. Just because we live in Oregon doesn't mean we have to accept this crazy left-wing ideology the rest of our lives. We don't have to succumb to CRT, gender identity indoctrination, out-of-control homelessness, crime, and so on. We can actually make a change and it starts with the next election. Right now, it is our responsibility to make sure that those who share our same values are elected in November. Make sure you and everyone that you know actually votes. We can and will take back Oregon. And tomorrow night on our show, we're going to start a new segment, a new program every once in a while. That's called People I Meet. Um, you guys know how I'm notorious for just kind of meeting up with people or taking my chances. Uh, tomorrow, we meet a man from Arkansas who I met, oh, probably over a year ago. Super interesting story. 
um, and a really great conversation uh, to hear and learn from. So that's tomorrow night, five o'clock Oregon time, six o'clock Montana time, and we will be right here. And then on Friday, we'll be back with Compton Family Wines. Kim Stark will be here with something and Bill London with your week wrap of the news. All right, have a good night and take this and share it on your page so other people see it. See you later.